guys. Hey. ¿Cómo están? Otro episodio con sus lloronas y chingonas. Yeah. Preferidas. Yes. <laughs> This is Edith. This is Yessie. Um, well, how, how you been, Yessie? I have been doing great. I think I did, um, I've been doing a lot of reflecting on, like, just my life and where, where I, like, came from and all the things that I've been able to achieve and even though I don't think about them every day I mm -hmm. think I've definitely taken the time to really like sit down and be like girl like you have you are living in what you wished for and I think I said that before but mm -hmm. I think like I have been taking a lot of time to be present and be grateful for the house that I have for the food that I eat for my health mm -hmm for my job that I love, for the free time that I get, for all the things like that I've been doing recently and yeah. I just feel really happy with it. So I'm I'm doing really good and I'm really excited for uh, stuff. So. That feels very, very nice. I feel mm -hmm. like everyone deserves like a little stop moment to think of, like have a reflection. Because I feel like sometimes we can be so hard on ourselves and be like, mm -hmm. oh no, I have to do this and this and that. Like yeah. girl, chill down, like yeah. calm down. Like look at yourself, you have a roof, Mm -hmm. You have food, you have a yeah. job, you have all of these things, you're healthy, and if you're not, you're getting healthy. <laughs> you're getting healthy, like, yeah. you know, all of these things. Um, uh, one more thing, though, um, I finally launched my journal and apparel business online, yes. casadiosaco.com. I'll put the, the link in the description as well. And I do have a 10% off code for our Yorona Pero Chingonas pod listeners. Mm -hmm. That will be LPC, all capitalized, 10. Um, no spaces or anything. It's just LPC 10, and you'll get 10% off um, your whole um, purchase. Your whole purchase. Go make your purchases. Oh my gosh, she has some really cute journals and some sweaters, mm -hmm. some mm -hmm. hats, some everything. Yeah. Go buy. Go buy your Christmas presents already. Oh yeah, go buy your, your <laughs> Christmas presents. Uh, well, I'm so happy to uh, like look at her. Who is she? Look at me. Not All only a podcast and another business. business. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm very uh, excited. But how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing really, really good. Um, it's been a crazy week. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned, but my my siblings and I, we've been remodeling our, our childhood home. And we're finally slowly, like, moving in already. Gracias a Dios, porque, oh, my goodness. It's been, like, a whole roller coaster. But now we're on the other side. Um, we're having a little celebration. A little celebration? Like what every Hispanic says, ay, una comidita. Oh, sí, say. una comidita. <laughs> We're having a little uh, celebration for my brother, our producer, um, for his 21st birthday and his graduation because he didn't, he graduated last month and his birthday was last month, but we didn't really get to celebrate him and like party with him in the kind of, in the way that he deserves because yeah. it's another, another first gen out there who's making it getting a degree yeah he and, is um getting older at <laughs> <laughs> no but yeah so that's pretty much an update with me uh i'm really excited for today's episode i know oh my goodness guys y'all have no idea we brought hasta los cristales y todo porque we are like i don't know about you but i'm nervous about interviewing this individual because she's a badass like she is a badass she's a true chingona and she's gonna talk about why she's a chingona and everything and i hope after this episode i want you guys to go back and be like 
yes she was yeah. a chingona or yes, yes she's a chingona yes, yes, yes. but um she is a true inspiration uh, she's amazing uh, yes. she's the first gen making it out there mm-hmm. uh, representing our latino community and yeah I hope you guys enjoy her, like our conversation that we have with her. Um, she's gonna talking about law and mm-hmm. about how she got there, how she got there, and everything. But yeah. um, do you have anything to add before we introduce well, our guest for today? Well, I mean, I kind of just want to be like her when I grow up. You también. <laughs> you también. I'm just gonna be like, hey, like she's just such a badass. Can you tell me how to be like you? <laughs> but yet again, I don't. I love watching like criminal shows and like law and all of that yeah but i don't know if i will want to be i'm such a crybaby like i just feel like going up there and representing someone i'll be like stuttering like el, el no lo hizo no no lo hizo like, yeah or like <laughs> si, si, <laughs> yeah i don't know that i'd be able to because that would be me i feel like i would get yelled at all the time me and too. you know like juro por todo so yeah, but I'm so excited for you guys to learn more about her and stuff. So, yeah. Well, let's bring on our guest. Her name is Abogada Tairin, and hope you enjoy our conversation with her. Yeah. Desde pequeñita, living in a small Texas-Mexico border town, Laredo, she has dreamt of becoming a trial lawyer. She graduated magna cum laude from the University of the Incarnate Word in 2006 with a Bachelor of Arts in Theater Arts in donde aprendió cómo utilizar su voz. She then graduated from UT School of Law and became an assistant district attorney, sorry, in Laredo, Texas for uh-huh. three years. As a bilingual prosecutor, she represented the state of Texas in criminal cases such as kidnapping and robbery, to name a few. In 2013, she continued her career in Austin, Texas with the Travis County Attorney's Office and there was and was there until 2022. She became a lead attorney and was then promoted to be a chief prosecutor in one of the Travis County misdemeanor courts. She has 10 plus years working to master DWI laws and has been named the Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Please welcome Abogada Tairin Cardenas Wittenstein with Cardenas Witt Law. Yay! Yeah. Bienvenida. Gracias por tener. I revolves around my world every single day yeah mm-hmm. but we'll get into that in a bit yeah but that, how are you last time we saw you was at the noti amigas yeah. what was it the expo? amigas uh, amigas hispana expo mm-hmm. oh yeah no i'm doing great um we have been growing. I my firm itself has been growing. I now have three employees. Yeah. Uh, it just started with just me in January, and little by little, I've been you know we've been growing, and the need for more help has has has, ar- has arisen, and I've been able to uh, hire three amazing people to work with our office that are also empathetic, they're bilingual, and they're also badasses. Yeah. You know? That's, so awesome. I, that's important for me. Um, and and the cases themselves, like we've been getting more and more cases uh-huh. and more and more calls, and it's just really exciting to be able to help the community, especially the Hispanic community. Yeah, here in Austin, I, I feel that. I feel that. Mm-hmm. I, my biggest dream is to like be able to make enough money so I can do like my passion, which is like um, 
being a play therapist, but I want to like cater to like my Hispanos. But unfortunately, a lot of them, you know, don't have the the financial means to afford like play therapy. Mm -hmm. So I want to be able to do it at a lower cost for them. And I'm like, I need to make enough passive income for that. Right, yeah. right, 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 yeah. definitely. But thank you for joining us today. Yeah. Absolutely, morning. thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting yeah. me. Um, so we're going to go ahead and jump on with our questions. Let's do it. Let's go ahead and start strong. Okay. Tyreen, are you a Llorona or a Chingona? I'm both. Mm. I am a Llorona at home on the inside, mm -hmm. and then I try to be a Chingona on the outside. So mm -hmm. I think that it's hard to... It's hard to just be one because even a chingona is going to have her moments of weakness, her moments of defeat, her moments of, you know, I can't do this anymore. Who am I? I'm an imposter, all that. Mm -hmm. um, or just things that, you know, happen in work or like cases, things like that, that are just really sad. And yeah. um, so absolutely, um, I think part of being what makes me a chingona is my ability to have the empathy mm -hmm. that it takes for, um, you know, for a case for to defend people accused of, of crimes, whether they're innocent or not. Um, and so I, I, I carry that a lot with me, um, but I don't let it show to the public. So if mm -hmm. I'm gonna be a Yorona, it's definitely gonna be behind closed doors. But believe me, it happens. I've even cried in the bathroom in court and then cleaned myself up and pretended like nothing happened. Yeah. Yes, wow. I've done that. <laughs> yeah, it, I think it's amazing that you're like a lawyer, because. Any confrontation that I have, I cry. Porque me estás hablando así. Sí, sí, sí. Una vez casi lloro en frente de un juez, and I could feel the tears coming. I'm like, no, no, don't come, don't come, don't come. But yeah. no, I held it in. I was strong. One time I got into a fight with a defense attorney. We were negotiating. Um, it was not in the courtroom, but it was in the courthouse. And um, he was just going at me hard. And I was a prosecutor. And I remember I stood up. Um, and I was like, I'm not going to let him see me cry. I'm not going to let him see me cry. And I went to the bathroom. And I cried it out. And then I got out, wiped my tears like nothing happened. I'm sure he noticed a little bit. But I was like, all right, I'm ready to keep going. Let's keep, yeah. <laughs> let's keep fighting now. Wow. <laughs> Round two. You got to get, get it out. So that, you know, get that yeah. out of the way. And yeah. now I'm not going to cry anymore. Now I'm strong. And now my mind is clear. And let's, now you yeah. want to argue? Let's argue. Yeah, that, and that's the chingona part, I think. Like, yes, there are going to be moments of weakness, but it's about getting back up. It's like taking your time with it and then mm -hmm. getting back up and going back at it. Because that's... Absolutely. It takes a lot. You have to take your time, Definitely. your downtime. You know, like a lot of people want to just, you know, uh, shove it under the rug or sweep it under the rug. But that's that's not going to help in the long run. You know, you have mm -hmm. to feel it. You have to feel your sadness. Have a day, a, a pity day in bed watching, you know, Lifetime movies and eating ice cream, you know. Have that day, but just be sure to have like an end for to it. That. You know, whether yeah. it's one day, maybe it's two days if it's really, really bad. But know that after this, I'm gonna get it all out, and then we're gonna start fresh. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love that. Like answer. a little reset. That's definitely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. So, ¿de dónde vienes? ¿Cuáles son tus raíces? Okay, bueno, yo nací en México de F. Uh, y a los dos años me vine con mi mamá a los Estados Unidos, a Laredo, um, que es eh, la ciudad donde nació mi mamá y donde vive todo el resto de su familia. Y yo me vine con mi mamá sola. Mi papá, él nos fue parte de nuestras vidas. Él a los tres meses, cuando yo tenía tres veces, él se, se, se fue. Y yo no lo conocí hasta que, fue, que era teenager. Uh -huh. Entonces siempre fue mi mamá y yo y la familia de mi mamá. 
Y entonces crecí mucho en, en Laredo, en San Antonio, y también mi mamá es artista. Uh -huh. um, y ella, she, she does a faux painting and decorating. Uh -huh. And so, uh, ella fue a la escuela a aprender cómo, cómo hacer todo esto y um, empezamos y me llevó a mí cada, cada vez que iba entonces empezamos por dos años estuvimos en, en California en San Mateo, allá afuera de, de San Francisco y ahí uh -huh. estuve segundo tercer año y luego algo increíble mi mamá la dejaron entrar a una escuela, la mejor escuela de faux painting en el mundo que es, es en Bruselas en Bélgica Um, y la aceptaron y nos fuimos para Bruselas. Entonces estuvimos en Europa un año, yo tenía nueve wow. años, estuve ahí, fui a una escuela ahí en inglés, um, empecé a aprender un poco de francés, ya se me olvidó todo, pero <risa> <risa> ya empecé y, y luego nos regresamos, ya, ya que aprendió todo, nos regresamos y, y el resto de, de mi juventud fue en San Antonio y en Laredo. Um, y, y luego me fui al colegio, que también fue, fueron muchos... Um, There was a lot of bumps in the road to get to where I am. It wasn't like a linear, I'm going to law school, this is where I'm going. There was a lot of, oh, that didn't work. Let's do it some more, you know, a different way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, I guess like whenever you're growing up, I, I read in your bio where you always dreamt of becoming a lawyer. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I always said when I was little, I didn't even know what it meant, but I said I wanted to be a detective lawyer when I grew up. I had no idea what that meant or how that's not even <laughs> a thing, you know, either a detective or a lawyer. Um, but I just wanted it. I just thought it was just so cool. I don't really, I can't really say this is where it came from. It just sounded, I've always been very intrigued by crime and, mm -hmm. and all that, you know. And so um, it was just something I always wanted to do. And honestly, as I got older, like in high school, I kind of felt like, That, that dream kind of went away a little bit because of imposter syndrome and things like that. Yeah. I was like, I can't do that. That's just silly. That, that would never be me, you know? And so I'm going to do something more realistic. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but, you know, you know, fate has it. Here I am. And I actually got here. Um, it, it, you know, I had some bumps and bruises along the way, some switched majors and, and things like that. Um, but I got to where I am and I'm so happy that I did because, um, I'm doing my dream job. And, and I couldn't have gotten to where I am without my mother's support and encouragement. Mm -hmm. Encouragement. I mean, she was the one that when I would say, I can't do this anymore, she's like, nope, get up, you're going. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. So, nice. your mama chingona helped you be a chingona. My mom is a chingona, and I can say she's much more chingona than llorona. I'm much more llorona than she is. <laughs> <laughs> At least I don't see it. <laughs> Maybe she's yeah. like you. Maybe she does it behind the Maybe, curtains. Maybe, so you know. She's always protected me for things like that, you know. And so maybe maybe she cries behind the curtain, and when she comes out, she's... She's ready to be strong, but but yeah, it, yeah. like this could have never happened without my mother Aww. pushing me and being by my side. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's amazing. <laughs> and I feel like um, right now that we're talking about where you grew up and everything, I feel like it takes us to our next question, which is your experience as a first gen. You already talked where you came from and a little mm -hmm. bit of that, but how was your experience of getting to where you are today? Well, um, so yeah, so my mother, the only college she went to was the art school. I mean, that was really the college. I think she took some like secretary classes back in the day. Um, her, she has two younger brothers. They were all born in the 50s. And the two younger brothers um, were the ones that went to college. They went to UT. And um, my mother always wanted to go to college. 
but my grandmother would always say, no, we're saving the money for the boys. You're going to get married. You're mm-hmm. going to get married. The money's for the college. Money is for the boys. And she always had this dream of being an architect, and she wanted to do all these things that she never got to do. And so I feel like I'm first gen definitely in my bloodline, you know, with her. Um, and even with my biological father, no, no college either. And so um, – but – I feel like I I really felt like I needed to um, help my mom kind of not prove herself, but like prove to the world that, you know, single moms can do everything, Mm -hmm. you know, and I wanted to support her the way she supported me by, you know, doing the best that I can and and achieving dreams that even though they're different than hers, achieving dreams that she never could back in the the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is so hard, though. Like right now that you're talking about saving the money for the boys. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that, as a Latino, like, you know, we're very biased of, like, women that they deserve a career, they deserve this. Yeah, I got... I feel like, like, when you were talking about it, I'm like, right? I I got a little triggered. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, and that's the mentality. Now is totally different, you know? Um, But I am the first gen in my entire family to go beyond college. So I'm the one that, I'm the only one that went, you know, to law school or to some other sort of, you know, master's program or anything like that. And so um, that's, that's pretty great. And I love that because my mom's two brothers, although successful, they also have children and, but, but their children, some of them went to college, some of them didn't. Um, but actually I think most of them went to college, but, um, but I'm the only one that's gone. I'm the lawyer. And I love that because my mom was a single mom. And so it's like, she didn't need the money to go to college. I still got here and she helped me. And so, um, that's the thing. We just, as women, we just have to fight harder. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. that's the way it is. We just have to yeah. fight harder. And how is that like, like for you, like going through school, like knowing, because whenever Edith and I talk about our first gen experience, we talk about like some of the responsibilities that were kind of put on us that maybe, you know, our second generation or third generation don't have to go through, like, mm-hmm. like translating important documentation for mm-hmm. your parents um, or even like assimilating into, you know, the schools here going from because I went to school in Mexico too Mm -hmm. so assimilating here how was that like for you how was like college um that transition and even being a woman in law school because I feel like it's predominantly male yeah well there's a lot to unpack there so so yeah well a woman in law school um fortunately when I went it was pretty 50 50 oh nice yeah I went to the University of Texas I graduated in 2009 um and there was a lot of women so at that point it's, it, I never felt the pressure of the, the male versus female. It was like, who's just the best? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fortunately. Um, what was the, sorry, what was the question that you asked before mm-hmm. that? <laughs> sorry, I know it was a lot of questions. Um, like assimilation. Oh, yeah. Well, for me, since I moved to the U.S. when I was two, um, I, I basically grew up like an American, you mm-hmm. know, and my mother, uh, she and her family were raised in Nuevo Laredo, which is on the Mexican side, but it's right on the border of Texas. Yeah. So they were raised with the English language. And yeah. so, so fortunately that wasn't something that I had to do. I didn't have to translate or anything else. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to assimilate. My family already lived in the United States oh, once we, once we moved here. Um, but I, I did notice there was a lot of differences because I considered myself, you know, American and, when I would go to school, in some of the schools I went to, some of the communities I went to, they would they would see me as different, you mm-hmm. know, and I, I didn't understand why why yeah. I was different. I speak the same as you. I, I 
I don't understand. I look similar to you. What, what's what's going on? And um, but yeah, so that that part has been very difficult. Not recently, thank God. But when I was especially in middle school, in middle mm-hmm. school that was very very difficult. I lived in San Antonio. Um, I went to a high school with a lot of, honestly, with a lot of rich people, and. Um, and rich white people mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh and i just went in there thinking oh these are my new friends you know and it was just really really hard for me to mm-hmm. to make friends there because i mean i i didn't fit in with the americans but i didn't fit in with the mexicans either because i was too americanized so mm-hmm. i was just kind of like i don't know what to do yeah now as an adult it's totally different but as a 13 14 12 it's 13 hard. year old you know yeah. it's just it's the worst yeah especially because um, at that time i think we're really trying to find our community Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and you're growing exactly. up. I mean, it's just such, such formative years. So, it, I mean, the and so I was bullied terribly from different different people. I mean, it wasn't just like one group of people. Like it was like the, the popular kids, the goths. Like it was just like everybody, yeah. and it was just like the boys. I, I just I never really understood it. Um, and so after three years of being in that school, when I finished eighth grade, I begged my mom to please let's move back to Laredo. It's still the United States, but it's a very Mexican town and everybody is like me, you know? And mm-hmm. so then I'm not, the Mexican part is just kind of like, it not, it's not even a thing there. It's just yeah. like, who are you? Like, I don't care where you're from. We're all Mexican. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I did that. And when I went to ninth grade in Laredo, I found my people, you know? And I was like, this is it. These now I can be myself. Now I belong. And I'm still really, really good friends with my, my high school friends up 20 years later. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's amazing. That's yeah. So good. And it's, those are the friends that you want to keep. Like the friends Absolutely. that like have seen you and your worst and then have seen you in your best too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which is one of the things that right now when you were talking about San Antonio, it's crazy to think that you will feel that way in San Antonio because I will imagine that San Antonio is more of a like little bit more diverse because it's a little bit more closer to the border I mean not as close as Laredo but um compared to here in Austin like I mean I feel and it is absolutely it was just the public school that I went went to to. yeah yeah that neighborhood was just you know very very rich very white um and not because we were rich it was just we happened to live in a condo in that area Mm -hmm. you know and that was I was zoned for that school Yeah. yeah I definitely relate to like fitting in like in in your hometown mm-hmm. um but I mean even even then like I've talked in the in the podcast before where I kind of felt like in the in-between too because there was like the the predominantly Hispanic I'm from San Benito like mm-hmm. really close to the border as well um and it was um the kids that were more Americanized that maybe are like second third generation Mm -hmm. and then there were like the first generation kids like me but I was always kind of stuck in the middle so like I kind of I kind of relate to that experience yeah I mean going to Laredo for high school it was like because because even before that San Antonio I was still like I was in California I was in Europe and even though I had great experiences there where I was accepted I still wasn't like everybody else yeah you know and so finally got to Laredo I'm like oh my god I'm like everybody else this Mm -hmm. is is amazing (laughs) now they're gonna now I can like be unique I can stand out and not not just be like stand out for the wrong stand yeah stand out for the wrong stand out for good reasons for my Mm -hmm. good qualities that before people just saw Mexican you know Mexican but too Americanized yeah Americanized Mexican you you don't fit in yeah (laughs) so um Tell us about your career. What do you do, and 
why, um, I guess, yeah, why do you do it? Okay, <laughs> well, I am currently a criminal defense attorney here uh, based in, in uh, sorry, in Travis County in Austin. Mm-hmm. I work on cases all around um, other counties as well that are close to here. Um, and uh, I basically, I'm really focusing my practice on the Hispanic community um, for many reasons, but the main one being that I, I believe that, um, you know, people that's, that come here that are Hispanic, especially the ones that weren't born here, that don't speak English, it's such a huge, like, it's, such, it, it, it's, it's scary to be arrested no matter what. It's even scarier to be arrested in a foreign country with a yeah. foreign language, with foreign laws, and um, especially if you yourself are undocumented and, and your family's undocumented. And so um, I, I really want my practice to be focused about on you know being able to treat my clients with respect and dignity, but also a lot of communication. And starting from the beginning, you know, whenever I get a new client in my office, I ask them, you know how how much do I need to explain? Do I need to explain like the judicial system to you or are you okay with that? And we kind of start on the, you know, the charge itself. And most people are like, I, I don't even know how the judicial system works. I'm like, all right, let's start from scratch. So that's what I basically teach them that. And then we just go on and talk about the case. Um, and so that's one, that one reason um, there was not enough communication, you know, explanation of what's going on. You know, as attorneys, you know, we're, we're, we do this every day. It, we have our words that we use. We have our acronyms that we use. And so um, it's very easy to talk to everybody else in the same way and just expect that they understand what we're talking about. Um, and so I recognize that that, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so um, I definitely make it a point to speak to my clients and their families in a way that they understand until they understand. You know, they might not understand it the first time. I have clients that I explain the same thing 10, 20 times, you know? It's like, all right, let's do it again until you get it. I don't want you to make a decision about your case until you understand, like for Mm -hmm. real understand what's going on. Um, But anyway, so yeah, so I'm a defense attorney now, and um, I was a prosecutor, so I was on the other side for 12 years. um, And Sorry, um, so a prosecutor is... You're probably going to have to explain. <laughs> Let me explain the judicial system. Yeah. Okay. So basically, when you're charged with a crime, there is uh, like three parties. There's the judge, who's like the mediator. That person is going to like be the gatekeeper, like, oh, this comes in, this doesn't come in, and just kind of like the don't fight, you know, like they're the ones that are running the courtroom, but they really have nothing to do with the case itself, um, you know, until much later. And so... <clears throat> The other party is the uh, the defense attorney, so it's me and, and the client and and, it's, and my team, um, and we're that's one party, and then the other party is the prosecution, and that's the state of Texas, and they're the ones that are putting the charges mm-hmm. on people. They're the ones that are accusing people, están acusando a las gentes, y um, y ahora lo que hago yo es que yo las defiendo. Pero uso todo lo que aprendí como como prosecutor, como fiscal, en español es fiscal, para defender a mis clientes. Yo mm-hmm. sé, uh, you know, I know when to stop talking. You know, I know who to go to. I know when to not talk to a prosecutor. I know when the offer they're giving me is not good enough. I know when the offer they're giving me is, whoa, that is really good. We got to take that mm-hmm. ASAP before they change their minds, you know. Um, and so um, also I have a lot of trial experience because as a prosecutor, uh, <clears throat> we, we go to trial a lot. And defense attorneys don't usually get as many trials because 
um, they don't have as many cases as prosecutors do. You know, and so like as a prosecutor, I probably have like a thousand cases. As a defense attorney, I have less than two hundred. You know, and so it's um, so it, it it's different. So so a lot of defense attorneys don't have as much trial experience um, that that I do. Um, many have a lot of experience, absolutely. But um, but but especially like Hispanic Spanish speaking attorneys. Yeah. And so I want to, you know, I feel like I'm I'm. I would be a good person to defend somebody of a crime. If if we're a good match, you know, we have to be a good match. They may not like me. I may say, I, I don't think I can defend this person, you know, just for whatever reason, not necessarily because of the charge, but just for whatever reason. Um, but, but yeah, so, so I don't even know where I was going with that, but. <laughs> <laughs> the little bit that I know about law is what I see on TV. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just like that. Yeah. It really is yeah. just like that. I mean, not exactly, but yeah. like the courtroom, the judge, the jury, the defense, the you know the yeah. the state, just like law yeah. and order. I mean, yeah. completely not as fast and you know it's much more like complicated. But it yeah. really the players are the same, the characters yeah. are mm -hmm. the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm. So what made you go from? Because it seems like you spent a lot of time in the prosecutor. Oh yeah. Yeah. In the prosecutor position, um, what kind of changed for you? to go into criminal defense? So um, for criminal defense, it was something that I always wanted to do since I graduated. I only went to law school to be a criminal attorney. And in my mind, it was a criminal defense attorney. Um, I didn't like any other kinds of law. It was boring, very, very boring. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to learn it so I can get to where I am now. Um, and so the first job that I was offered out of uh, law school was to be a prosecutor um, with the district attorney's office in Webb County in Laredo. Um, and I, of course, took it. And I thought, you know, I thought it would be a temporary thing until I kind of figure out the next step. But I just really liked it. I liked the office itself. I liked the people. I liked the way they handle cases. And I also really liked, um, you know, standing up for victims and, and talking for those that don't have a voice and, um, and and also just going to court every day and having trials all the time. And also what's great about working for the government after graduation is that you pretty much only have to do law. I don't have to have a secretary. I mean, I don't pay for a secretary. I don't pay for an investigator. I don't pay for any of that. Like everything, my computer, everything is done. I just show up, do law, and go home. Mm -hmm. You know, now as a defense attorney, I do everything, mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, so, I, so that, it was very comfortable. It mm -hmm. was very comfortable. Um, I moved to uh, Austin in 2013 after being a prosecutor in Laredo for three years because uh, funnily enough, I was uh, married in Laredo to another prosecutor. We, we met, married, and divorced in those three years that I was there. Um, and I always knew that I wanted to come back to Austin. It's where I went to law school. I loved it. My ex-husband never wanted to come back. And so I thought, this is my chance to go back. So uh, when I got a divorce, I got a job here. It was, it was a rough, rough time, but I got a job here. I started over, moved myself, my two little dogs, and we got our own apartment, and mm -hmm. we became a prosecutor in Austin. And, um, and it was really awesome because, uh, you know, just a little snippet from my ex-husband, he would always kind of say, like, you, you're not strong enough to be a prosecutor in a big city. You know, you're, you're fine in Laredo, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. in a big city. And so when I was actually there to tell him at the office, like, knock on his door, hey, just so you know, so you don't hear it from somebody else, I'm moving to Austin. I'm going to go be a prosecutor. 
And it was just like, oh, and I was like, okay, yay. bye. I get yay. Yay. It was, that was one of the best, that, that was like the best part of the whole divorce, you know, being able to <laughs> say that. And he was just like, <laughs> like his mouth, jaw dropped open, you know, like, bye, you know. And so not only was it a big city, it was like the capital of Texas, yeah. you know, a uh, very coveted position. So um, that, that really was awesome. I came here, um, I started doing misdemeanors here, um, which is what I did for the last nine years, because in Austin there's two offices of prosecution. There's the county attorney that handles all the misdemeanors, which is mostly like DWIs, assault with not like a lot of injury, um, thefts, things like that. And then there's the district attorney who handles all the felonies. So all the murders, all the you know, assaults with lots of with you know, serious injury and you know, the bad ones, the really, really bad ones. Um, and I actually stayed at the county attorney's office the entire time, the entire nine years I was there because I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I loved the office. I've, I've been very lucky in the places that I've worked that I, I've, I've been um, very happy there. You know, I've liked the people. I've liked the, you know, the work they do. I like the environment. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, and the thing is, after um, four years of being there, I was promoted to the chief of one of the misdemeanor courts. Mm-hmm. So I basically ran one of the misdemeanor courts in Travis County f- um, with three prosecutors under me, mm-hmm. paralegals and like an entire kind of staff. Um, and I was I was the boss, you know, and that was that was really awesome. Um, that absolutely helped me to be where I am today because it gave me the confidence that I needed that like, one, they believe in me to give me this job. Mm-hmm. Two, the community is seeing what I'm doing and I'm doing a good job and so they respect me. Mm-hmm. And also um, I learned how to kind of manage uh, employees, how to manage, how to lead is what I did. you know. And so now that I'm in my, my own business, I'm able to um, take that leadership role. It, it comes easily yeah. to me yeah. um, because I've done it before. And so, um, and, and also I, uh, I feel like in, in my nine years that I worked there, I, I, I did I did some good work and I've managed to keep some really, really good relationships with defense mm-hmm. attorneys and judges and other prosecutors. Um, and so that has, has helped me too. I never even thought about leaving that office until probably about early 2022 um, when it was, it was time to do something different. Um, I don't know if you guys want me to go into that. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, of course. Oh, this is okay. all about, this okay. is all you. Okay, I'll just keep talking. I just uh, close this now. <laughs> Forget that. So, <laughs> speaking of a whole women's issue, I, I had a baby in uh, when I was 35. She's about to be five now. Um, so, you can do the math. <laughs> <laughs> I'm great at it. Middle. Okay. I'm like, where? Donde están esos años? They're in here. I feel them. Believe me. In the uh, knees. In the knees. In the, the hangovers. <laughs> feel it um but yeah so I had a baby and I always wanted a baby because I, I got married again uh, when I got here I met the man of my dreams he's amazing totally different so glad I had that previous marriage because it prepared me for what I want really wanted I thought I wanted passion and craziness and no like no I want somebody who I know loves me calm, and yeah. is calm <laughs> and is stable and like oh that's what I've been looking for this whole time mm-hmm. you know so <laughs> incredible totally different Married him in 2017. Uh, we had a wedding in Vegas because we had both already had weddings before, wedding. and we're like, you know what, that didn't work. So let's just do something fun. Wait, did you get married? Did the was the person like an Elvis? Well, 
My husband's Jewish, and so my mother-in-law forbade us from having Elvis marry us. Ah, oh, man. So she somehow <laughs> found a rabbi in Las Vegas that, to marry us, to go to the little wedding chapel. However, Elvis was present and did oh, sing nice. some songs. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You, you never said that he didn't, wasn't allowed to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was not allowed to marry us, but he will be present. I mean, we have an awesome picture with, because we had a bunch of friends and family go, and we have a bunch of pictures, and there, there's Elvis in the front. You know? I love that. So, you know, it was just, we took it a little bit less seriously because it wasn't about the wedding mm -hmm. you know it was about the marriage so um so that was great a year within a few months I got pregnant um which I really wanted found out it was a girl oh my god that was like the biggest dream come true um and I was so excited while I was pregnant I had a difficult pregnancy but nothing crazy I had gestational diabetes so that was that was annoying um and just being pregnant isn't very fun um <laughs> at least not for me it wasn't <laughs> so I had my baby I was great for about five days and after day five I just sunk into this extreme depression mm -hmm. that just came out of absolutely nowhere just all of a sudden one day to the next I'm sitting in my the nursery you know trying to feed my baby and the tears just started and I don't know where they came from but I couldn't stop them mm -hmm. um, and now looking back I think it had a lot to do with the, the lack of sleep that was a sleep deprivation, in addition to um, just kind of like the shock of it all. Like you think mm -hmm. you're ready, but not until you have this baby there, this like little thing that's taking everything from you, you yeah. know, and not giving anything back. <laughs> like, yeah. Give me something, come on, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, yeah, and so it's not until there that you're like, wow, like I'm, this is it. Like I, for the rest of my life, this little blob is, is my blob and I'm that's attached to me I can't go to Walgreens and just leave the blob you know the blob has to come with me with all the blob stuff you know so like it was it was just very it. it was just very overwhelming like thinking I thought I would I thought and I was ready but I thought that I knew what it was going to be and it yeah. was it was just so much harder um plus I I mean I was diagnosed with postpartum depression and so I'm sure that you know my situation was was different than, than other moms that didn't have that, but it's hard no matter what. And so add sleep deprivation, the shock of it, plus the hormones. Yeah. You go from hormones over here to hormones like woo, yeah. way down here, and they just kind of fluctuate. Um, add all those together, and I, you just got a very, very intensely anxious and depressed uh, mom. Um, so it took me, um, you know, and I, and I dealt with it, and Anytime I've ever had any sort of issue like that, I've never felt that way before. But anytime I've had some sort of a, you know, too much anxiety, I always go for help. Like I'm never, yeah. I'm not gonna, you know, grin and bear it. Absolutely yeah. not. You know, if there's, a, there's there's a solution, I'm gonna get that solution as fast as I can. So um, so I found an amazing therapist that specialized in that. I got medicine from my doctor, and it took about a year, a year maybe two years to really completely get back to normal. Honestly, it wasn't until she started kind of talking that I was like, oh, now she's giving me something, you yeah. know? And I was like, now we can now we can talk, now we're cool, you mm -hmm. know? And so, um, yeah, it was very strange. Like, my whole life I wanted this baby so much, and then when I got her, I was terrified of her. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't not want her, I just was like, oh, I don't wanna be alone with her, you know? Yeah. It was just, I, I didn't know, I didn't trust myself. Um, so yeah, so we, uh, now I, I got you know the, the confidence that I that I needed. I'm a mom. I'm still a badass at work. You know. Um, in fact, I remember being on maternity leave and running up the stairs one time with vomit all over me and the baby, <laughs> and thinking like I used to be such a boss at work. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I just like pictured myself walking into court with my suit and you're like, I'm the prosecutor, I'm the chief, you know? Mm-hmm. And now here I am with vomit all over and like this little thing bossing Aww. me around. And I was like, oh my God. So like, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so, um, so, so then later, one of my friends who actually did the same thing, he was a prosecutor and he became a defense attorney and he's a defense attorney uh-huh. now here in Austin as well. We met in Laredo. He was a prosecutor there. He's here now. And he had been trying to get me to go defense for a long time. Not to go with him, but just like, you got to do it. You got to do it. You know, it's, it, there's just so much more. There's just so much more, you know. And so I just didn't, didn't feel ready, didn't feel ready. And then just like the beginning of, of 2022, I was like, okay, I'm ready. You know, and so I used the entire year to mm-hmm. learn about, one, how to um, – be uh, own a business yeah you know they don't teach you that in law school yeah they just teach you how to be a lawyer um it's kind of like in high school they don't teach you how to do your taxes or like the important stuff yeah they don't teach you that stuff in in law school like they assume that you're just going to go work for somebody else yeah so um so yeah so I had to learn that the business of law itself you know how to get clients how to um how to run a firm you know how to set divide work out and things like that and then also I had to learn the defense side of things you know and um not uh you know how to talk to people you know because as a prosecutor I talked to a lot of lawyers but I didn't talk to the community mm. you know and so for me my cases you know I, I admit I have to admit that they were they were black and white they were on paper mm-hmm. you know very rarely would I see the person or maybe I would see them quickly in court but not really register oh that's the same person you know so all of a sudden it's like oh wow now I have to like you know, really connect with people and, and be able to learn to talk to people that aren't lawyers, that don't, you know, know all the acronyms and all that. So that had, I felt like I needed to work on that. And, um, and then just the, the confidence, mm-hmm. you know, and the confidence in knowing that I can do it and the confidence in knowing that for the first year is going to be hard. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's going to be hard. I'm leaving a, you know, well-paid government job with a lot of benefits, with a lot of power, honestly mm-hmm. um and I'm going and I'm starting from scratch you know yeah. so the first time I didn't get a paycheck like after I quit that was rough I was like oh my that's god what did, so I do? what did I do what did I do that's so scary to do it, it was I had my husband who was amazing and I had my family support me too so I I, I knew th- fortunately I never felt like I was going to be out on the streets you know but but it was still like oh my god what did I just do mm-hmm. what did I just do and so, um, but I was like, nope, I mean, it's already done. Got to do it now. And uh, I, oh, actually, when, after I quit, I quit the, the prosecutor's office in mid-December of 2022. And I started my firm in January of 23. And in between that time, it was like Christmas time, uh, my husband and I took a cruise, just the two of us. And I remember, honestly, in that cruise, I might have cried the entire time. Oh. It was just like the most cathartic <laughs> thing. Like, it was just like nerves and the fear and regret and like excitement and it was just my husband was like who are you (laughs) you are no fun that reminds (laughs) me that kind of reminds me of that scene in tangled i love disney movies Tangled, where the girl where the girl finally gets out of the tower or pencil and then she's like running around and just like crying and happy and rolling around in the in the grass and then crying again so I can <laughs> I can imagine it was just you. like it was just yeah it was, it was just like a lot and so uh we came back and you know then I kind of think I got it all out there but I still have my moments of oh my god what am I doing yeah you know but um you know I just have to remind myself that every hard thing I've ever done much harder than even what I'm doing now yeah. I've, I've done and yeah. I didn't think I could do Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so, um, so yeah, so I came back, I, I opened my business, opened my practice, you know, used all the, bless you, all the, the things that you. I learned um, in, 
being a prosecutor and in that year before, you know, all the, yeah. I, went, I mean, it was audiobook after audiobook on different aspects of how to have a law firm. Yeah. So what kind of got you into, like, the DWI, like, specialty? Yeah. And I, I know that there's, like, a mission that you have in, like, teaching the Hispanic community yes, and all that. Can yes. you tell us more also Absolutely, about absolutely. And I can't say I'm officially specialized in DWI, that legally I cannot say that, but I do have a lot of experience in DWI. Okay. How about that? Um, what got me into DWI was being a prosecutor for a misdemeanor prosecutor for nine years. Um, and most of our cases, I would say about 90% of my world revolved around DWIs. And so, and just there's so many different types of DWIs, and there's the ones with the drugs, and then the ones with no drugs, and then if they draw the blood, if they blow. Um, there's so, so many issues that, that revolve around it. And so I was able to see pretty much every single kind of DWI case that exists, you know. I was able to go to trial on many different kinds of cases. As lead attorney, I probably had more than 50 trials myself, but then I sat second chair a lot when I was a, a chief, and so I have more experience. <coughs> um, and so, uh, why did, uh, yeah, so why did I, the question, sorry, I lost it's track okay. of the question. I keep losing track of the question. I just no, talked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so kind of what got you into the DWI? DWI, yes. Um, okay, there we go. So, um, so, so when I uh, transitioned, I, I, was, I knew that I needed to um, use DWI. I mean, that's, that was my thing. Um, many defense attorneys, I would say most defense attorneys, are really into trying the felonies, you know, the mm -hmm. big, the ugly cases. And I can do that, too. I, I did it last week, actually. However, um, I, I, you know, I wanted to, there's very few defense attorneys that really want to focus on the misdemeanors. You know, be, you know, they want to do the big ones. I'm like, but sure, I'll do the big ones, but I'm really, really good at the little ones. So let's start with those, and then we'll, you know, kind of grow and, and learn. <clears throat> um, so when I, um, you know, and, and honestly, when I opened my firm, I didn't 100% think, oh, this is going to be a firm tailored to Hispanic people. It just kind of happened that way. Yeah. And I'm loving the direction that it's going. Um, and so one of the things that, that I've noticed is that, my Hispanic clients or even the, the defendants that I prosecuted, um, the Hispanic ones always were extremely intoxicated, like like for the most part. It wasn't just a little bit here and there. It was like, oh, how many beers? Cuántas cervezas? Ah, un doce, un dieciocho. You know, I was like, whoa. You which, know? Is, which is, I think, the norm sometimes. Like, I know, like, with, like, family, they'll get home from work and then they'll just start drinking yeah. un cecito. Uh -huh. Un cecito See? para la noche. Just, and that's just a, that's a night. Like, for me, yeah. that would be the night, you know? Yeah. But for them, it's just a Tuesday, <laughs> you know? But, yeah, and so, and so then they go out to the clubs and they have, like, 20 beers or 25 beers, you know? And, and then the whole machismo thing of not wanting to admit that you're too drunk to drive home. That's what um, I was going to say because I remember when we met you at the the event, uh -huh. how we were talking about the machismo, that's something that unfortunately I see a lot in my family. Yeah. That like, they cannot admit like, oh, I'm too drunk. I need to give my keys to someone else or I need to leave my car here and just Uber. No saben eso. No saben y, y aparte, let's say that they meet a girl at the bar. They're mm -hmm. not gonna be like, oh, I can't drive. You know, like, mm -hmm. I know, yo puedo manejar, yo soy hombre. Mm -hmm. You know, or, or you no matter what, a lot of times, you know, even just like after a six pack on a Tuesday, that like, it doesn't have to be after a party. Yeah. You know, it's anytime. Where la tienda comprar tortillas. Sí. Mm -hmm. you know, so, exactly. So, it doesn't have to be after the club, after on Saturday night. DWIs happen all the time. And so, 
then I started looking at statistics, and I noticed that um, Hispanics have the highest rate of DWI deaths in the nation, in the United States. Wow. Plus, we also have the highest rate of binge drinking in the nation. I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, so put those two together, that's a really bad combination. And so what I started, what really made me want to start educating the Hispanic community, it started there, and then um, it continued because a lot of my clients are undocumented, and um, they, there's a horrible thing in immigration where if you're undocumented and you get arrested for anything, you're very, very likely going to uh, be held by immigration. So you're, you stay in jail until you finish your criminal case, and then after that, immigration comes in and takes you to their jail basically wow. uh-huh and that could be I mean it could take 10 days it could be you know 20 years you serve your criminal sentence and then you go to immigration you know yeah. so 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 but the thing is you can't get out on bond you know they'll give you a bond but if you pay the bond you're just gonna go straight to immigration mm. with a pending charge which you don't want to do mm-hmm. um, so so yeah so so they're stuck in there and I so many of them um, especially the males they would tell me like I don't understand like in my country I don't understand. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't crash. There mm-hmm. was nothing. Nothing happened. I don't understand why I'm here. Why they won't let me out. Why they want all this time served. Why why they want to kick me out of the country. And so it was like, oh, okay. Like there's a the, you know like the, there's something to teach here. Plus they would so many of them would say, I'm the breadwinner. I'm the breadwinner. How is my family going to survive? I pay for my wife. I pay for my kids. I pay for, I send money back home to my parents and my family. I am the sole provider. Mm-hmm. And it would just be really hard for me to leave there thinking like, oh my God, like this could have been avoided so easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so basically our, our theme in my law firm is we, we, we have this thing called, uh, our, our slogan is, you know, uh, que siga la fiesta, pero solo sin tragedias. Party all you want. Absolutely. We love to party. I love to party. Not anymore because I'm a mom. But I used to love to party, you know. And um, nobody's saying not to. You know, if you want to go and do whatever you want to do, that that's on you, you know. However, don't put everybody else's life, you know, in danger. It's just such a selfish, it's such yeah. a selfish thing to do. Um, you know, because you don't want to spend $20 or $40 on an Uber, you're going to drive home, you know. And it's going to cost you a lot more later if if you get in trouble Mm -hmm. um so yeah so that's how it started I was just like I need to really teach you know the the Hispanic people the the ones from here and the the immigrants that you know you can't do this here and there are more consequences for you than for anybody else and unfortunately we have to see you know life as it is we have to see reality and us Hispanics we just have to be we have to behave better we just have to follow the laws even better because we have much more severe penalties if if we are you know caught breaking the law mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. and it's crazy because i feel like when you were talking about our hispanic community a lot of them are not like educated with law they're like like how you said they already see themselves cuffed up and like in the back of the seat of the cop and then they're like i mean you say like yeah. now i fucked up or like i messed up like you know all of these things and I feel like a lot of times when you were talking about, like, laws and knowing your rights and stuff, a lot of people don't know that. No. Yeah. And, and they do, like, reaccionan o dicen cosas que a lo mejor no deberían de haber dicho por el miedo. They try to explain why mm-hmm. they didn't do what yeah. they did, and yeah. that never works. Yeah. Like, yeah. do not, yeah, I always tell my clients, do not talk. I don't care if you're trying to tell them that you're innocent, whatever. Don't do it. Yeah. I will do that. 
Okay. Talk to me. I will talk about your yeah. innocence, not you. Yeah. So let's say um, I go to Handel's party tonight, <laughs> and I'm like, I want to drink a little bit. How many drinks should I be okay with driving home or not? And if I do get stopped by someone, what should I? How should I even handle that situation? Okay. Well, the first question about the um, how many drinks, you know. It, it all depends on um, your body. If you're a female, what you weigh, how, how much you've eaten that night, how much you've drank, when you've stopped drinking. You know, mm -hmm. some people take a shot before leaving. Some people drink and don't stop for two hours, and then they, they drive. So there's a lot of factors. But you're a small girl. I wouldn't say, I would say, like, no more than two drinks because mm -hmm. after that, you're definitely getting into the DWI zone. Yeah. Um, you know, men can handle a little bit more, but I'm not talking about a lot more. I mean, I'm yeah. saying three, maybe four drinks if you're a big guy and you're, you're fine, you yeah. know? Um, the important thing also is that just because you feel fine doesn't mean you are fine. Yeah. yeah. And doesn't mean the law is going to care whether you feel fine. Yeah. yeah. You know, some people say, I drive better when I'm drunk. Okay, fine. But the law doesn't care. Even if you were driving perfectly, the law does not care. Uh-huh. You know, you, you're over a .08, you're over .08. I don't care how good you looked. Yeah. Um, and so that, you know, and, and so a lot, and I see that a lot with the Hispanic clients is that, ah, yo manejo mejor borracho. No, yo mejor, soy, tengo más cuidado. Yeah. ¿Y cómo sabes? <laughs> ¿Y cómo sabes? Yeah, ¿cómo sabes? sabes? And I think that's like also with Hispanic community, they see it as a joke también. Mm -hmm. Like, como que miran, oh, manejo bien. O, sí, sí. Yeah, yeah, like a challenge. Yeah. And it's just like you are just every time you get behind that wheel after having too many drinks, having three, four drinks even, you are putting your everybody's life in danger. The entire community. The moms with their kids that are going to get ice cream, yeah. you know, the, the mm -hmm. grandma that's driving home from church, you know, like every you're putting every single person in danger. Plus you're putting yourself and your family in danger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, um whether if they're in the car, obviously they're in physical danger, but if they're not in the car, um, you know, you're putting them in danger of losing yeah. their breadwinner. Yeah. You know, and they're going to be stuck in an apartment that they cannot afford and in a country that they don't speak the language and dad is in jail because he didn't take an Uber, you know. Yeah. Also, I've noticed that um, with Hispanics, another thing is that they we have a lot of mistrust of, like, Uber and Lyft and kind of things. Yeah. I'm not going to get into the... Uh, car with a stranger. stranger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so I just want to spread the word that it's t it's totally safe. I mean, obviously, there's always the bad things that happen, which can happen anywhere. But I mean, I know that as Hispanics, we've never been had a problem getting into taxis, mm -hmm. you know. And so it's kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. it, they're regulated. They're, it's a company. It's not just some guy saying, "Hey, I'll go pick you up." You know, like you know what car you're getting into. You know yeah. the person's name, what, what they look like, what you know. And so. That's something that I that I want to spread too. Is that you know it's it's, yeah. it's safe. Like it's so much safer. Yeah. Or or ask or like even just have someone that you can call to come pick yes. you up. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people have really cool wives and girlfriends and or moms and they'll go they'll go pick you up. You know, mm -hmm. and leave your car. You know, most the most important thing is to plan ahead. Obviously, if you yeah. know you're gonna party, plan ahead. If you're gonna go downtown to party, don't take your car downtown. That's just that's just asking for DWI. You mm -hmm. know, someone who are like, oh, I'm not gonna drink that much. Yes, you are. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, yeah. And so, um, so yeah. So the important thing is to plan. However, obviously, many times you don't plan in situations where like I'm not gonna drink that much, but you do. Leave your car. Yeah. You leave your car. If your car gets towed, it gets towed. 
Yeah. You'll get it the next day. You'll pay, it'll cost you a couple hundred dollars to get it out. But you're home safe, no DWI. Yeah. And more likely than not, your car is going to be right there where you parked it the yeah. next day. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I've, I've done that many times in my youth, leaving my car. I've never had my car towed. You know, mm-hmm. it's always there, like in the parking lot where I left it all yeah. by itself. Yeah. Um, and so th- that's the same thing. And so, you know, the consequences of, oh, they're going to take my car. Do you realize that the alternative is, is yeah, it, that it doesn't is even true. compare. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just so easy for people to just not think, not go there because mm-hmm. maybe they've done it several times. Mm-hmm. Um, but in like in the instance of someone getting stopped while they, you know, maybe they had three drinks and we're not encouraging drinking and driving guys, just a disclaimer is <laughs> just like the safety part of it. Um, but let's say that someone does drink like three drinks and they get stopped and like, what are their rights? Do they have to blow into the little thingy to check their alcohol levels so, and stuff? So no, the short answer for that is no. Um, and yeah, same same here. I, I really am against DWIs. However, if <clears throat> as a defense attorney, if you are stopped, I have to explain the rights, and, and you know people do have rights. So um, when you get stopped by an officer, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to come to your window and they're going to ask you where you've been, where you're where you're going, ask you for your license, and in that moment, they're assessing you as to whether they think that you may be intoxicated. They're smelling your breath. That's a big one. The the, the smell of alcohol. Um, and just what you're saying, oh, I'm coming from the club, or some, a lot of times, especially Hispanics, have their beer in the console, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so that's when the officer's kind of like, mm, there's, there's something fishy about this guy. Maybe he's not falling down drunk, but mm, there's something. And so the officer says, all right, step out of the car, we're gonna do a DWI investigation. <clears throat> and what that means is if you, if, if there is no pass or fail, but you know, just for to make it easy, let's say if you fail the the DWI the DWI investigation, you're going to jail. If you pass it, you're gonna get back in your car and go home, right? It does happen. You do. It does happen because I've had many trials where I asked the the officer, like, officer, is or have you had DWI investigations where you let the person go? Yes. And the reason I asked that is because he arrested this guy, so that means he let other people go when they weren't drunk, but he thought this guy was drunk. And that's what I would say as a prosecutor. <clears throat> um, but, but yeah, so, I don't even know where I was going again. Again, I lost my train of thought. Oh, I asked like, what are the rights if someone Yes, so, okay, so you get out of the car and um, you, uh, they're gonna ask you a bunch of questions, more questions. Where have you been? What did you eat? What was the last time you ate? Because that makes a big difference. If you've eaten a big meal, if you haven't eaten, I mean, I'm sure we all know that if you don't eat, you're gonna get way drunker way faster. Um, and so they ask you all these questions and then they ask you if you're sick or injured. They ask you if you're sick. They ask you if you can see out of both eyes. They, they wanna make sure that you're qualified to take these tests, that it wouldn't be unfair for you to ask you to you know, walk a line if you, if you have a knee brace or something. you know. Um, and so then they're gonna do three different sobriety tests. They're gonna do the horizontal gaze nystagmus test, which is gonna be, um, usually they use a pen or like a little stylus, they call it with a little light. And you look at the officer, and the officer is going to hold this pen, and they're going to go back and forth, side to side. Um, for three, there's three different things they're looking for. So it's it's a, it's a longish test, um, and you are only allowed to move your eyes. You're not supposed to move your head. You're just just back and forth like that. Um, and what the police is looking for is um, that your eyes uh, they they shake when you're intoxicated, mm-hmm. and the more intoxicated you are, the more they shake. And so, um, and that's something 
that even if you have a really high tolerance, you're, you've been drinking forever, you're an alcoholic, you know, their eyes don't lie. The eyes mm-hmm. don't lie. You, you may be able to walk the line, you may be able to talk well, but the eyes are always going to give it away. And so that's the first one that, that, um, we, that they do. After that, um, they do the, what's called the walk and turn, and that's the one where you're going to walk the line, nine steps forward, nine steps back, heel to toe, you know, don't stop once you've started. You have to turn exactly how the officer shows you. And there's a bunch of clues. There's eight clues, actually, that they're looking for on that. You know, um, you have to keep your hands by your side. You have to look down at your foot. I mean, there's just a lot of rules. And if you miss any of those rules, those are check marks, you know, for intoxication, intoxication, intoxication. So that's that. Um, then after that, there is the uh, one leg stand, which is where you stand up and you pick up one leg. And uh, you have to pick it up six inches from the ground, look at your foot, and count out loud and till the officer tells you to stop, usually until around 30, if, if you get that far. I don't know that I can do any of those <laughs> sober. It is, you know, and imagine doing it on the side of the road, super nervous. Yeah. yeah. Like, so it's not just, like, right now, if we did it, we would be I bad mean, at it. But I mean, I'll do it <laughs> just, like, standing. I don't I know. That. terrible balance. Yeah, I'm pretty I don't sure know. Like when the... Uh, and yeah. you're not supposed to put your hands up. That's a sign yeah. of intoxication. If you put your hands up. You see? I'm already like shaking. And yeah. you can have your lip. Oh, up. snap. That's even harder. You're already intoxicated. You gotta look at your foot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they'll, t- they'll tell you that while they're doing the test. Like, if you're not doing something, they'll look at your foot. And so it kind of messes you up, you know? Oh. They'll be like, oh, you're not looking at your foot. Look at your foot. And so it's just like, oh, man, I was doing so well. And then you, you, you got yeah. me. Um, so yeah, so that's the third one, and then at that point, the uh, officer will decide whether or not he believes, or he or she believes, that there's enough uh, uh, evidence to to arrest you for DWI. And people have to do that. Like they do not have to do that. Oh. No, they do not have to do that. Now, if the officer, if it's pretty, when somebody's pretty drunk, it's pretty obvious. You know, it's not something that you need a walk and turn test for many people. So if the officer sees you and you refuse to take the, the field sobriety test, which you absolutely can, it's your right, it's kind of like part of your right to remain silent. You know, you don't have to, you're giving them evidence is what you're doing. Um, and so you can say no. I always say be very respectful. Say, officer, with all due respect, I've heard that I've never supposed to do this, so I respectfully decline, you know. Um, if you get aggressive, if you get, you start being a smart ass, it's not gonna go well for you, you know. But if you're respectful, you know, they may think, well, there's nothing I can do with this person and, and let them go. Um, but many times they're still going to arrest them because it's obvious that they're intoxicated. And maybe they're not going to win in court because there's not as much evidence against them because they didn't do the field sobriety test. At least they're off the streets, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, so, so that's what happens. After you get arrested, then you're asked if you um, want to uh, give a sample of your breath or blood. Um, you are asked on the street if you want to give a sample of your breath. You don't have to give a sample of your breath on the street, but even if you do, that sample is not admissible in court, all sorts of legal reasons, but that one doesn't count, but you might be asked to do that. They're looking to, to see if there's alcohol in your in your body. Anyway, so you get to the jail and they're gonna read you this whole thing about you know your license and your rights, and most people don't even listen to that. you know. And they ask you at the end, do you want to uh, give a breath or blood? And, um, you know, if you say breath, absolutely, you go into the jail and you blow into the machine. It's very, there's a whole process about it. Um, or if you say blood, you know, there's a, a sanitized room in the jail with an actual nurse or a EMT that's going to be drawing your blood professionally and everything. 
Um, but you can also say no. And, um, you know, if you say no, that's less evidence that the prosecution is going to have. Of course, the officer can always, um, if they choose to, or maybe if it's like a no refusal weekend, like Halloween, what, what it means, no refusal, what that means is you're not allowed, that if you refuse to give voluntarily give your breath or blood, the officers can go apply for a warrant to search your body, a search warrant for your blood. So that means that basically, if you, even if you still fight it, they will tie you down. And they will get that blood. That's what it means. I always used to see uh-huh. that, like, ha- like Halloween, like big events. Uh huh. I will see that, like, like New Year's. Yeah, I mean, they can't force you to do the field sobriety test, yeah. but they can force you to take your blood. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so, so that happens, and and yeah, especially on the big weekends like ACL is happening right now, or um, you know, Christmas, Halloween, July Fourth, all those. Mm-hmm. Those are like they, your your blood's gonna get drawn. You yeah. Know? However. And this is, again, I hate DWIs, and I hope never nobody does them, but legally I, have, I have to, must say that if you say no and the officer goes to get the warrant to draw your blood, your blood concentration is very, very likely going down because it, it takes the officer, the officer has to write up the warrant, they have to go talk to the, the judge, they have to get the judge to sign, they have to come back, they have to wait your turn to, to get into the room to draw your blood, and all of that time your blood alcohol concentration is going down. Mm-hmm. So... You know, even if they do get your blood, it's probably going to be lower than it was when yeah. you were when you were driving. Which, you know, yeah, for a defense-minded person, that that's good. Yeah, my my mind kind of went to like, what a, what about those like Spanish-speaking clients that don't understand English? Like, what happens when they get stopped by an English-speaking officer? Do mm-hmm. they get like a bilingual officer, or yes. like how do they? They the the first thing that they'll do is they'll try to find a, a bilingual okay. officer, um, and many times it's not even someone that's like fluent or native it's just some guy that one of the officers that that speaks Spanish but not very well but he speaks Spanish and so they do it like that so many things get lost in translation yeah. when it's a foreign language mm-hmm. Spanish or any other language um, because the the instructions that you're given are so technical that it's so easy to not turn the right way or not understand that you have to do nine steps forward and nine steps back and the officers, unfortunately, they will use that as a sign mm-hmm. of intoxication. Like, yeah. oh, he didn't do nine steps. Like, he didn't understand you. That's why yeah. he didn't do nine steps. Or even, or even to, like, be able to say, like, you have to do it exactly like this. Exactly. That's exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, like, if you don't do it exactly like the way they want, you know, you're going to, quote, unquote, fail. But you you might not understand what exactly you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes. And I've seen cases where they can't find uh, a Spanish speaker and they just kind of, you know, figure it out and... Um, of course, the prosecution is going to have more kind of sympathy with those people and be like, all right, that that was very different than the person who speaks English and understands yeah. what they're saying, and mm-hmm. they're going to take that into consideration. However, I always say you can beat the rap, but you can't beat the ride. If, if you're going to go to jail, you're going to go to jail. You're not going to convince the officer to not take you to jail by just talking. Like, mm-hmm. you're going to jail. We can fight it then. Yeah. A lot of people want to resist. You're not going to get away. Yeah. <laughs> you're not. If you yeah. do for some reason, it's gonna be they're gonna catch you and it's gonna be much worse. Yeah. Um, so just go. Go to jail. We can deal with it later. Mm-hmm. You know, but just go willingly, go respectfully. Oh man. and the thing is, I had so many DWIs as a prosecutor where the person would be just obnoxious and they would just be rude and they're so, so drunk and like acting just like just entitled and oh, do you know who I am kind of thing. And it's like that you think it's helping you, but it's not only pissing the officer off, it's pissing the prosecutor off. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So many good things. I that know. 
I'm like, like what? Yeah, like I didn't guys, know that. <laughs> just don't drink and drive. You have you could avoid all this by not drinking. It's and driving. just so easy. I mean, if you have the money to go go to a bar and pay for drinks, you have the money for an Uber. And if you yeah. don't, then don't do it. Mm-hmm. Then don't go out. Then don't go out. Drink, drink, at drink, at home. Home. drink at home. Drink at home. Get wasted at home. Go somewhere within walking distance. But if you're going to go downtown, you're going to go to the domain, you're going to go wherever to whatever bar, whatever party, even not even a bar. But if you know mm-hmm. you're going someplace that need that requires, you know, transportation other than walking, you know, ask yourself, do can I afford this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if you can't afford that, you certainly cannot afford a DWI. Yeah, it is true. Because and, and I saw one of your reels where you were talking about not only do you have to kind of hire an attorney to represent them for that crime or that, but that misdemeanor, but they if they do have um, like 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 if they are undocumented, they would also have to hire another attorney that yes. would be for that part. Yeah, and there are some criminal some attorneys that do criminal and immigration and more I I mean I respect them a lot because that's very that's very a hard. Whole monster. Yeah, it's very hard. Immigration law is completely different than criminal law. Um, and so I actually, when I first started in January, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to do immigration. I'm going to kind of get into it. It's so, you know, it intertwined. And it was like, I can't start a business, learn how to be a defense attorney, and learn the entirety of the immigration system. Like, I can't do that at the same time. Yeah. So I've been slowly learning it so that eventually, you know, within a couple of years, I can start being what they call a crimmigration attorney. Oh. Yeah, crimmigration. But most criminal attorneys, most immigration attorneys are not both. And so um, what, you, what you need to do is you're going to have to hire, more likely than not, a, an immigration attorney to tell you what to do next. I can tell you the basics. You know, like, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be taken here. I know that if you plead guilty to this case, you're screwed, you know. Or I know you can't plead guilty to this, but you can plead guilty to this. This is better, you know. I know the basics. But once you get to immigration, that's, that's another monster. That's a different attorney that you're going to need. And you don't have the right to counsel in immigration um, hearing like you do in a criminal. In any criminal case that's class B or above, you have the right to have appointed counsel. Immigration, no appointed counsel. You have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we just they, you may not even need to hire an immigration attorney. You may just need to um, – I refer them to some immigration attorneys that I know just for a consult. Mm-hmm. So that they can say, like, is it worth fighting? Mm-hmm. You know, and they might say it's not worth fighting when you get to immigration. Just say that you want to voluntarily go home and, you know, that way. So it doesn't necessarily mean you have to hire an attorney, but you certainly have to consult another attorney because it's like going to you know, a neurologist and asking him about your GI symptoms. You know, it's like, yeah, we learned that in law school and like we, you know, but it's like, but you, I wouldn't want. I wouldn't, yeah, want, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to defend me in immigration. You know, yeah. I, I don't feel comfortable. Yeah. I would want to defend myself. You know, and, and criminal, but not 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 if I was charged. Actually, that doesn't make sense. But you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, 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 that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, mm-hmm. well, no, I was just gonna say that this is such great information, and I am so grateful that you joined us here today. Okay. I know. Um, it was nice hearing from you, not only like your roots, tus raíces, todo, pero también like después de eso, like you know where you came from, but what you know now mm-hmm. and how like you were born and raised got you where you are today and i stumbled i stumbled the uh-huh. whole way i mean th- my whole life has been just kind of like i feel like i'm walking backwards a lot of times mm-hmm. you know against the, the crowd um but the thing is you cry mm-hmm. and you get you back feel up. sorry for yourself and you get back up mm-hmm. because nobody else is going to get you up unless you get yourself up that yeah. is very true do you want to ask our last question yeah where our last question is just going to be what advice do you have for first gen or any other 
uh, listeners out there who are probably around the same path as you but Mm -hmm. they're feeling stuck where they're like what do I do like I want to be a criminal law attorney but I don't know like where to start where to start (laughs) yeah but what advice just in general do you You know something that my mother told me when I was young is that you know all astronauts come from somewhere you know they all come from some little small town and some you know some little state you know and so it's like you can do whatever you want. You you can be an astronaut. You can be a doctor. You can be a lawyer. You can be because somebody's gonna do it, mm-hmm. and it's not gonna be somebody that was raised, you know, in Los Angeles or New York. A lot of the time, it's gonna be somebody from a little town that just really wanted to do what they want to do, and so that's what I what I my advice is just just do it. Yeah, just do it. You know, just do it. If you fail, that that's fine. Part of of being successful is failing. I failed so many times, you know, I, I went through like three different majors. So I figured out what I wanted to do that I wanted to do theater, you know, but, and it was, it was depressing and it was frustrating, you know, when that happened and disappointing, but you know, like I said, cry it out. What's next? You don't yeah. have time to feel sorry for yourself because feeling sorry for yourself isn't that that's not gonna, that's not gonna help you saying, I can't do it saying I'm not good at this. That's not going to do it. I actually have a, my stepdaughter who is a, uh, trying to get into law school um, next next year. Uh, she's about to graduate. And she's always had this thing in her mind that she's a bad test taker. She's a bad test taker. And her and the family even says, like, yeah, she's not very good at taking tests. You know, she's a bad test taker. And I tell her, I'm like, get that out of your mind right now because that is not true. Like, give her this. <laughs> yeah, you can fix that. But if you go in there, uh, you know, to take your LSAT, which is the exam to, to, to get into law school, thinking I'm a bad test taker, you're going to be a bad test taker. Yeah, I, I've seen that your brain, I'm a therapist, so I love everything like neuro. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've heard that your brain hates to be wrong. It hates to be wrong. So if you're telling yourself, I'm nervous, I'm going to suck at this, your brain is going to be like, hell yeah, we're going to suck at this, you know, yeah. because it hates to be wrong. So it's better to think something until you believe it um, because it'll eventually come true. And sometimes you have to fake it till you make it. And yeah. that's my biggest motto. Fake, you gotta it, fake it till you, you make it. it. And everything is scary. You're never going to go into something that, that's worthwhile to be a successful person and think, oh, this is easy. This yeah. is no big deal. Like, it is terrifying. I mean, just, yeah. just me going before a jury, it is terrifying, you know? Mm-hmm. But you have to do it. There's you, you one thing that I say to my family a lot. It's like, esa negatividad. Like, whenever they say something, I'm like, well, if you say that, that's going to happen. Exactly. Like, the yeah. law of attraction. Yeah. yeah. I'm, like, I'm very, so, so I'm always like, yes, a negatividad, and they always make fun of me. Yeah. Like, it's just like, well, it's true. Like, if you're constantly going to be saying, oh, well, I'm not going to be able to do it. And, mm-hmm. like, right now, I'm also thinking about going back to school to get my um, my therapeutic license, too, and be a therapist. So, like, a part of me also is, like, thinking, oh, I, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to make it. So, like, even myself, I'm like, yeah. I need to get that out of my head. Yeah. Absolutely. It's so easy. I mean, I, just opening my law firm this past year, it could have been so easy for me to, like, oh, this isn't working or, mm-hmm. no, it's never going to work or what did I do, you know. But instead, you know, I, I, I'm like, it has to get better. You know, mm-hmm. I have to start somewhere. Yeah. I have the mentality the first year is, is not going to be great. And sometimes I have to remind myself, like, okay, it's the first year, calm down, you know. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, but instead, I have I've always had this mentality, like, no, it's gonna be successful. Like, yeah. I'm gonna be successful. I'm gonna help the community. I'm gonna be able to achieve my dreams. I'm going to be able to provide for my family, um, and provide and, and help provide for my employees' families. Um, and I just have this vision, and I'm like, 
I'm going to get there. Yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so where can our people find you? Yes. So I, um, they can find me on my website, which is www.cardenaswitlaw.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram as uh, at cardenaswitlaw and on Facebook and TikTok at Abogada Tairin. And I, I always do little reels of, you know, just random tidbits about the law. Um, you know, today we're going to talk about family violence and this, you know, mm-hmm. or today we're going to talk about drugs. And so we do that a lot. Um, I also talk about cases that I'm doing without mentioning names, of course. Mm-hmm. I was in a trial last week and, um, you know, I kind of kept the, the my viewers, I don't have that many viewers right now, but <laughs> when I do, I kept them kind of updated as to what's going on. And so I remember when the jury went out to deliberate, they knew, you know, what the charge was and they knew that I believed my client was completely innocent. And, um, and I, you know, just kind of said, all right, now we're here, here we're waiting for the jury. And then, um, okay. And then later I did a video like he was acquitted, is not guilty. And so it was just, uh, it was really excited, even though, so like, even though I would never ever, and I'm not even supposed to share names or faces of people without their permission, um, I can talk about, you know, the experiences that yeah. I'm having. I'm like, oh, today I'm going to Williamson County and I have this guy charged with a theft and this is what they're saying he did, you mm-hmm. know? And so, um, so yeah, so it's like advice, kind of just real life, you know, ev- every day in the life, life of, of, of me, you know, yeah. a brand new defense attorney that's trying to save one Hispanic defendant at a time. Yeah, I love <laughs> That's that. That's what I was telling Yessi the other day. I was like, I love her little reels that she does. I'm one of your viewers, by oh, the way. Oh, good. Thank you. I'm one of your viewers, and hopefully our listeners are going to be one of your viewers, too. But I hope so. They're so cool because she's constantly just talking on her stories and everything. And I was telling Yessi about that the other day. I'm like, it's so cool how she's so into like the social media now, like it's like posting. And the thing is, I don't do my social media. I have somebody do it for me. I actually uh, have a part of our team. She's a, she's a marketing, uh, my marketing team is based in Venezuela. Oh. Um, so it's a lot less expensive, you know, but she does everything. Like I just do the video, I send it to her and she does all the magic. We need to look into that. <laughs> <laughs> seriously, seriously, because I mean, and, and it's great because she like knows what to write. Like she, she gets it. She's not a lawyer at all. And she, she gets it. And you know, she knows she, so I just do the videos. She does everything else. Yeah, I, d- I don't do awesome. So it's, it is, I wouldn't be able to do it otherwise. One, yeah. I'm not very good at social media and technology in general, not my thing, but two, I don't have time. Yeah, <laughs> that is yeah. true. Yeah. Well, you're such a badass. You're a mom. Oh, thank you. Full time. You're a lawyer, attorney, full time. You're a wife, full time. You do a lot of things. And thank you so much for taking the time to come. That's Absolutely. I was just about to say that I'm like, after all your busy schedules of being a mom and lawyer and everything, thank you so much. But I think it's very important to make time for, for myself, you mm-hmm. know, and I don't see this as work. I see this as fun. And so, um, yeah, like we, ha- you have to know where to stop. And that's something that I'm learning right now is when to stop working. Uh, yeah. Oh. It's, a, know, it's a big one. For not to work on the weekend yeah. if I don't absolutely have to. Yeah. And so I just, I'm like, today I'm not going to work. I'm going to spend time with my kid or I'm just going to rest. I'm going to do whatever I need. So even though I am a full-time mom, a full-time wife and a full-time criminal defense attorney, I also am a full-time me. And yeah. none of those are going to work without m- me being at my best. Uh, I love that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to quote it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Again, thank you so but thank much. Thank you so much. Yeah. And anytime you guys want me back, I'm, I'm happy to, to come back. Definitely. Yeah. I'm sure a year from now I'll have even more insights as to like, oh, yeah. yes. a yes. year later. 
Yeah. Update. Update. <laughs> now we have all these attorneys working for us yeah. that were famous. <laughs> us too. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Manifesting it. <laughs> exactly. That's what we have to do. Well, thank you. You're and, welcome. Um, follow her, everyone. Yes, follow her. We'll um, put her website and her social media in her description. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my phone number for my office, which is answered 24 7, is 512. 512- Four eight four nine three eight nine. That's answered even in the middle of the night because obviously, as criminal attorneys, we get middle of the night jail calls. Yeah. So call us. We'll, somebody will answer and somebody will help you guide you through the process to get the person out of jail or, or help explain why they can't get out of jail or just mm-hmm. basically, we can do as much handholding as you want. If you want to, don't want handholding, cool. That's yeah. fine. If you want us to like literally like go with you and like do everything, we'll do that too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, guys, if you need any advice or any services, hopefully you don't. But <laughs> exactly, you I hope do, nobody ever I needs mean, me. But if you do, or if you have a tío or a primo or somebody like, yeah. oh, I remember that. You yeah, know? reach out to yeah. Eileen and um, yeah, and share this episode to all the junkies in your life. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. You might save some lives uh, and uh, and save them a lot of money. And yeah. also, don't drink and drive, guys. Yeah, don't drink and drive. <laughs> Now the holidays are coming up. This is the drinking and driving season. Yeah. All right. Bye.